Yeah, okay, so it's 5 a.m. <laughs> that's yeah. why my, if my voice sounds weird, that's, that's why, basically. <laughs> Waking up early gives you an accent? <laughs> well, yeah, the accent's always there. So. <laughs> yeah, my accent is uh, very um, Eastern European, I guess. That, that's what you guys would call it. So. Yeah, because uh, we don't know the names of any of the countries over there anymore. Well, well, yeah, that that is probably true of most Americans, I guess. But yeah, okay, just just a couple of things. I am uh, on a really crappy PC laptop right now because uh, I'm uh, at my girlfriend's parents' house. Mm-hmm. So if like anybody just walks into the room by mistake, like I am really sorry, <laughs> but I'll warn you if just some random Slovenian person starts talking in the background. <laughs> Just so you know. Go ahead, ambiance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna make it more authentic, basically. But yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I guess we'll start. Or do you do you wanna do you want me to pronounce my name for you? Because every American so far has done that. You got it. I was gonna, right. that was gonna be my first question, but you're such an old pro at this. Now you know exactly what's coming. Yeah, I I, I actually wanted to make a little uh, like a, a a little snippet of my name because that was your advice, you know. Yeah, I went to, your, went to your about page and I was hoping it was there, but it wasn't. It's was just your yeah, name I'm, with all these funny characters sitting on top of the letters. Uh, yeah, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to use like whatever we talk, like when I say my name now and it's your voice like trying to say it, that's what I'm going to use it on my about page. <laughs> so this is going to be it. I'm going to actually leave this part in. So, you know, I'm going to say my name and then you'll try and say it. And then I'm going to have, you know, John Syracuse saying my name in the about page. That was the plan. So, <laughs> this is a bad plan. I know, I know, and I, I, I specifically wanted to say that, so I, I'll just put pressure on you now. So, okay, so I'm gonna say it now, and you try and say it back. I guess that's the game. I mm-hmm. think. Okay, so it's Ange. Ange. Well, that was actually close. Yeah. So yeah, it's Ange Tomic. That's the full name. That's what my last name. But Tomic is kind of uh, like easier. Well, yeah, you gotta get a do. You can't just say Tomic, because an American would say Anze Tomic, but that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for Anze. Oh, I know I lost the first one. Anze <laughs> yeah. Domic. Yeah, it's Ange. Ange. Ange yeah. Domic. <laughs> okay, so, okay, I think I have my clip now. So, <laughs> I guess. You can, the... you can try Syracuse. Syracuse. Very good. All right. Yeah, now, but. Now yeah, you but... just crushed me for now. I Now I suck. All right. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we, we're like, we neighbor Italy. So, you know. Well, um, no, but I don't. I don't pronounce it the Italian way. I mean, Italian. Yeah, it's Syracuse, right? Yeah, or, or something like that. I don't. I don't speak Italian, but totally different. <laughs> I mean, it's mine is 100 Americanized pronunciation of this, you know, Italian city name. Well, yeah, and you have the USA when you spell it, so you know. Yeah. Uh, so okay, I guess, I guess this is going to be my first question now, which is always the same: like, who are you, and what do you do? That's not such an easy question. I get asked that a lot on podcasts. And, you know, you ever uh, try to write a Twitter bio for yourself? I didn't look to see if you had one. But, like, they have, they give you a little spot to write a bio in Twitter. And what people usually do is they write a series of nouns with commas between them. And then they got to yeah. decide what, what order the, the nouns are going to go in. So there's immediately the struggle between, like, the people who are married or have children do they put husband or father first or last? Because does it make it seem like it's less important if you put it last? Or should you put it first because you think it's the most important? 
Uh, those are the easy ones. I am a husband and a father, but I don't know where I would put. I have nothing in my Twitter bio, by the way, to, to make that clear. I left it blank. <laughs> I, I punted. I did not know what to put there. But if I was going to write a bunch of nouns there, some of the nouns would be husband and father, sure. Uh, but also programmer, because that's what I've done for my entire professional career is write programs. Uh, and I would have to put writer in there somewhere, but I would probably like hedge and say like freelance writer to make it clear that people don't think I write for a living because I don't. Oh, well, I write code, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. And I guess I would have to throw a podcaster in there, even though no one knows what a podcaster is. But for the past couple of years, I've done a weekly podcast. So that's that's basically me. Yeah, but I mean, like, at least after Hypercritical and now with ATP, you are an actual podcaster. Yeah, as much as anyone is. I mean, I do a weekly podcast and I have for many years now. Uh, and so, yeah podcaster but like that's not a thing i mean there are very few people who are there are very few people who as their profession are podcasters well yeah that is true yeah but yeah it, it, it'd be in the twitter bio it'd be pretty high up i think at this point well you never know like what people want to know sometimes is are you that guy who i heard of because of whatever and so i would tend to put programmer first because it's the thing i've done professionally for my entire career but it's not the thing anyone knows me for uh so i feel like that needs prominence but if they want to know hey are you guy you the guy who wrote all those always 10 reviews i can say yes and hey are you the guy that had such and such a podcast that i had heard about that's also me Okay, well, that, that that that's a great lead-in for my next question because I don't. You you mentioned it once that you used to be known as the guy that was sort of really, I'm not, I'm not critical of Apple, but you know when OS ten sucked kinda when it was slow, you were the guy that kept pointing that out, and you were not well liked. That those are your words, I think. So, you know. Is that true or? Yeah, like, well, it wasn't good in the beginning. I was the only person who even was uh, seemingly aware of its existence enough to write about it because at that point, people were mostly writing about how Apple was doomed and on its way out the door, which could have very well been true. Uh, <laughs> and but I was most interested in, you know, like the, the company had a near death experience and ended up buying next and people didn't know what that meant. Uh, but Apple came out with a plan for this next generation operating system. And most people are like, yeah, yeah, because they've had they had a whole bunch of plans for next generation operating systems. And so it was like, well, whatever. Uh, but this this plan would seem different, if only because it was clearly going to be the last plan and either it was going to work or it wasn't. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, they've announced what they were planning on doing. And it seemed crazy to me, like you're going to combine Next Step with the Mac. And it mostly looks like Next Step with a Mac skin on it. And that's not what Mac users are expecting. And I didn't want all the good things that had defined the Mac for so many years to go away and to be replaced. By. I, li I like Next Step. I'd used it before. But it wasn't the Mac. And I, if, if this was going to be the future, it was like, mm, that's not really what I want. So, yeah, I was writing, writing about uh, what, uh, you know, what came to be known as OS X very early on. And, like, you know, in 1999, I wrote the first uh, review of the, the the second developer preview release of OS X, I wrote it on Ars Technica. And for many, many years, all I did was complain about how this new operating system did not live up to the standards set by the classic Mac operating system, despite the fact that the classic Mac operating system was long since past its time, technically speaking. It was like, if something's going to replace it, I want the thing to replace it to be better in all ways, not just better in the technical underpinning type of ways. Yeah, because that was my, I, I had contact with the Mac through my dad, who's a designer. So I sort of knew System 8 and 9. And they were like, they were proper operating systems, basically. And then when Mac OS X came out, like, he just didn't bother buying another Mac, actually. Because he tried it once and it just wasn't, you know. I don't want to say, like, it was bad, but it really was slow. And I think people sort of forget that from that era. 
And it's, that's why I'm basically still on Windows because I just never bothered to move <laughs> from system like 9 to Mac OS X. So I just want to ask, like, in those days, were you ever tempted to just go Microsoft? Because you're a gamer, that's why I'm asking, because that's why I ended up, like, on Windows, because I play games, basically. But were you ever tempted, like, was John Syracuse ever tempted to just go full on Windows? No, not, not at all. <laughs> like, it, and because I knew what Windows was about, like... Who who wouldn't who didn't know what Windows was like in the '90s? Everyone knew it was it was everywhere. It's not as if like maybe Windows will be interesting. I don't really I've never really experienced it. We were all forced to use Windows at some point. And I knew I knew what was in store there, and I didn't want any of that. The only thing that I found interesting that I toyed with was you know uh, desktop Linux, uh, and I could see how that was kind of a rudderless ship. But I, I played with Unix all through my college years. And I like Unix, and that's why I was excited about the Unix underpinnings of OS X. It's just the GUI parts that I had a problem with. And on Windows, I didn't like the technical underpinnings, and I didn't like the GUIs. There was nothing <laughs> there, so there was no way I was going to go to Windows. Uh, the only reason Windows uh, had any interest at all would be as a gaming thing, and that's I would treat it the same way I treat it now, like you boot into it to play a game, and then you get out of it. Okay, well, yeah, that's, yeah, okay, some of us just used it because it was easier to, like, boot in and out of it, basically. Yeah, but. The Mac never became unviable for me. It was never at the point where, like, well, I can't get my work done with this. And the saving grace of OS X is that there were so few Mac users during those terrible years when OS X was just dog slow and gross and not good. Uh, and only a few of us suffered through that. So by the time anyone paid attention, which is like post-iPod, when people started to realize that Apple wasn't going out of business, by the time anyone paid attention, finally OS X by then was starting to become not terrible. Yeah, but that, that yeah, but there were a couple of years in that. That's why I'm actually fascinated by that. That you never actually gave up because I tried using it. It was really, like I don't think people realize how slow that thing was. <laughs> even compared to we, and I'm saying it like even compared to Windows, you know, it really was like I don't, I don't know. I just I gave up basically, and I just that like kudos for sticking with well, it. I guess. Well, see, the thing know? is, I loved classic Mac OS, and during the first several years of me writing reviews of OS X. I would write the reviews in classic Mac OS and I would I would continue <laughs> to use classic Mac OS as my main OS. The only time I would boot into OS 10 was to figure out stuff for the reviews. I really like classic Mac OS. Everything about it except for the technical underpinnings. Uh, the fact that the thing was crashing, it was, you know, uh, no protected memory, uh, no real preemptive multitasking. It was it was past its prime, but I knew it like the back of my hand. It was super fast and snappy, like uh, uh, classic Mac OS, Mac OS 9 on a, a blue and white Power Mac G3 was really fast and really, yeah. you know, it was it, it was an operating system that should never have been still been around in the age of that level of hardware, but it was. Uh, so that that held me over. It was like, well, clearly Apple's not going out of business, especially after the iPod started to, to catch on. Uh, so I'm safe continuing to use this really fancy, cool looking hardware. Remember the blue and white G3s and the, and the G4s? Yeah, those were cool, cool machines. Uh, and I get to use an operating system that I was familiar with, that it's really fast, that I like. Uh, and I know they're working on something else that's better. Uh, it's just not quite there yet. So I had no problem waiting it out uh, using cl classic Mac OS on, uh, on fancy Johnny Ive design Macs. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I recently booted up a uh, G3, but a beige one. Like one, I don't, I don't even know, like my, my dad's old machine because he had some, you know, illustrator files or whatever on it and I had to get it off. And it, yeah, it really is like fast. And it's, that's a PowerPC model, I think. Because he had a bunch of them, so I'd never keep track. But yeah, it was that. See, that's my point. Because it really was. There was like inst stuff was instantaneous there. 
like a classic Mac OS. Like it really was. And then you, you boot up Mac OS 10 and it's like, I don't know, you know. I don't think there's an equivalent of it now. I don't know if there's like an op- operating system that works as slow as that thing did. Well, but there was like, uh, not Palm OS, uh, what the hell, Web OS. Web OS from Palm was sim- <laughs> oh, yeah. similarly potentially ahead of its time. It's like the thing that made OS 10 so slow is that it had a compositing window manager without any GPU acceleration to speak of. So a compositing window manager <laughs> would like re- render everything into off-screen buffers and do a bunch of math to blend it all together. And then only when the final scene is composed, shove that to the screen. Uh, and that was just super slow. Uh, and eventually that got faster because the hardware got faster and it became GPU accelerated over the course of many years and many releases. WebOS was slow because it used web technology for everything. Who knows if that ever would have gotten fast, but clearly it was, you know, it was equally, you know, perceptibly slow uh, when it was introduced. It's just that WebOS did not have the kind of runway that OS X had. OS X had years and years uh, because of the iPod and because of the candy-colored iMacs and everything else that sort of distracted people from the fact that Apple still didn't quite have a viable next-generation desktop OS of it, uh, ready for use. Uh, and that gave it the runway it needed to become decent. WebOS never had a chance. Now, like I said, it's not, it's not a slam dunk that WebOS ever would have gotten fast enough because if we look at web technologies today, native technologies are still way faster. But, you know, these days, our phones are running GPU-accelerated compositing window managers. So uh, OS X was clearly barking up the right tree. It was just many years too early. Yeah, but with the native and web stuff, yeah, I think, like, I don't know, WebOS, I used it on a pre, my friend had a pre, and yeah, I don't, maybe, like, even now, when you just do anything in the browser versus a native app, it just, I don't know, that sort of, I I don't think that would have happened, like, WebOS actually being, like, fast enough compared to Android and iOS, I don't know. Well, if you had enough, Just, if you had enough money and engineering behind it, it might have. I mean, look at things like uh, you ever play Quake Live, which is Quake Three Arena in a browser, essentially. With a, yeah, with yeah. A plugin. I mean that that runs fine. Uh, WebGL, the WebGL demos, they they run fine. If you know, like, it, I'm not saying that's the way forward for WebOS, but given enough, I mean, compositing <laughs> window managers were not were a non-starter on any device, and even the most powerful desktop computer you could buy, compositing window managers were dog slow. Uh, but given enough time and engineering, you can make almost anything fast. So who knows if if WebOS had become phenomenally successful, uh, maybe they would have had the time, money, and engineering resources to actually make it fast. Well, we'll never know. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you like a pretty simple question, which which I think you've answered before, but I actually want to like hear it for myself. Like, what? Why? Like, with all of the writing you do about Apple and all of that stuff. Like, why don't you just, like, give in and get an iPhone? Like, I don't... Because Marco tweeted a picture of you with a, like, a dumb... I don't know, like a flip phone at yeah. WWDC. Like, why Why is that? Why, why is that a thing? <laughs> like, well, I, I don't... In my life, I, I, I wake up at my house, uh, get the kids off to school, eat breakfast... I go to work. My house has Wi-Fi. Uh, on the way to work, I shouldn't be on the phone anyway, but I don't have any internet access on the way to work. It's a fairly short commute. At work, I have Wi-Fi. Uh, and then I come home. Again, no Wi-Fi on the commute. Uh, then I'm back <laughs> in my house. There is pretty much no time when I need internet access that I don't have internet access. There is a period of time while I'm commuting when potentially I might need to call someone, so I do have a cell phone. Uh, like if my car breaks down or we want to communicate about who's picking up the kids where or driving them, whatever, I can do that. But that's like less than an hour a day. Uh, and a cell phone plan 
to get reasonable coverage, because I'm kind of in a cell phone dead area where I live, uh, would have to be a Verizon and it would be like $70 a month. So I'm not going to pay $70 a month for an hour a day of internet access that I'm never going to use. And that's what it boils down to. Uh, not that I have anything against iPhones or anything against smartphones, and I am sh- absolutely sure I will eventually get an iPhone. Maybe it'll be an iPhone 6. I thought it might have been an iPhone 5S. It wasn't. Uh, I just don't need one, and it's just like, it's not like I can't afford an extra $70 a month. It's just that, you know, there's a lot of things that I can't afford that I don't pay for because I don't think they justify their expense. If it was much cheaper, if it was $20 a month, I would already have one, you know. Uh, and my wife insisted on getting one, even though she doesn't really need one either. And so when we go out, to, <laughs> when we go out together, I can just use her phone, you know, if I need to look something up on the Internet or whatever. Uh, you know, we have an iPhone, uh, two iPhones so far we've had in the family. Uh, and were I to get an iPhone 6, I would probably go on her family plan thing and it would be like an extra 40 or $50 a month instead of 70 so it would be a little bit cheaper. So it will eventually happen, but right now I don't need one. I use my iPod Touch when I'm in the house. I use my iPod Touch when I'm in the office. I use my iPads at home. Uh, and when I when I travel, like for WWDC, I buy a month of cell data for my iPad. All of my iPads have uh, you know cell data capabilities in them. And whenever we go on vacation or we go out somewhere where I'm, I'm going to be away from internet access... I just buy uh, a month's worth for like twenty or thirty bucks. Man, but you do you do know you have an excuse to get one because you're, you're like the John Syracuse said the Apple guy. Like I don't. <laughs> that's my point. But I don't I, review I iOS though. I mean, like now well, I, I, yeah, for this, for this review for like for uh, Yosemite with the whole handoff thing and everything. I have I have a much more legitimate reason to get one. But now would be absolutely the wrong time to get an iPhone 5S <laughs> because they're going to introduce new phones in September. So who in their right mind yeah. would buy a new phone? And, you know, so <laughs> instead, I'm just going to commandeer my wife's phone and uh, use okay. that for the review. Yeah, because I'm like I'm a tech writer as well, and that, that's always my excuse. I, I have a Nexus phone, and that's why I get a new Nexus phone every year. Because I convinced myself I need to be up uh, to yeah, date. Yeah, that, that, that's know. what that's what everyone tells all these people who buy new phones every single day. Well, I I'm I'm in the tech business, I, and really they just want a nice shiny thing every year. It's very easy for them to <laughs> justify it. Uh, well, I was okay, but yeah, but I, that was my next point. Like with your sanity and stuff, like you basically like the excuses are kind of running out, right? Like with the whole you know sort of consolidation between you know Mac OS ten and iOS, you you kind of you know. Yeah, I mean, like I can test. I probably can test a lot of the handoff things with, but well, with my iPod, I forget. Yeah, any any, I think it works with any uh, device with a Lightning connector and any Mac that is newer than 2012. So I think I can test a lot of things with my iPod Touch. But obviously, phone calls I cannot test, and I'll use my wife's phone for that. Which means I'll have to install an iOS 8 beta on her phone, and she will not like that. But uh, but <laughs> yeah, like I said, but... like it's at this point, really. I mean, seriously, if you if you know anything about the tech business, this is not the time to buy a new iPhone. And I thought about like buying one and then returning it within the 30 day window. You know, I don't like, <laughs> just for the review. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I bought it and then just return it. And then, you know, either do or don't get an iPhone six or whatever they introduce in, in the fall. Okay. Well, I, I actually wanted to talk to you about the, uh, not like predictions and stuff, but just the, the screen size, because, uh, like for a long time, like in like this part of the internet where like you reside and like all of the Apple, I guess pundits, that's a crappy word. I don't like it, but yeah, like there, there was this thing that when Apple introduced the original iPhone, like the screen size was there, and you know, compared to Android with the whole fragmentation stuff, like with the smaller screen, it's perfect. Apple picked it, and then like you were like one of the I, I don't want to say like dissenting voices, but you kind of you always kind of hedged that part, 
You know, that the screen was sort of like the way it was supposed to be. And then when uh, Andy Anatko wrote that piece when uh, he switched to Android and he kind of explained the uh, benefits of a larger screen, you were sort of like on board with that, I guess, or were you? That's basically what I'm asking. Yeah, no, I was I was on board with that because I, I'm I'm a big screen kind of person. I like big screens on laptops, like big screens on desktops, uh, and the, the whole Apple Kool Aid drinking about like, oh, this is the perfect screen, and we tried all sorts of sizes. I mean, it, even if it was the perfect screen at the time it was introduced, time marches on. People's preferences change, technology changes. A lot of the perfection of the original iPhone screen had to do with how much the screen costs, what yeah. size can we get screens of this quality. Uh, and and also, like you said, fragmentation. Once we've committed to a screen, we don't want to change it unnecessarily, so let's keep it for as long as we can. Apple sort of did keep it as long as they could, and then they made it a little bit taller, and that was kind of another stopgap. Uh, but just look around you. Just go onto public transportation and look at the sizes of the smartphones that are out there. They're all humongous. People want big phones. And it's not like, well, Apple, we know better. You shouldn't have a big phone. Uh, it's it's ob- It's been obvious from the very beginning that the iPhone line had to and would diversify in the same manner as the iPod line did. I mean, it started out with just one iPod, and eventually they came in, in a variety of shapes and sizes. What those sizes are and what quantities they sell in is determined by customer preference, but there's clearly a range of size possible for a handheld phone device or iPod or anything like that, and it's inevitable that Apple would have to you know, start expanding its line to cover more of those bases, and we're, you know, it's been happening over many years, and I think we're going to see more expansion uh, with the next line of phones they introduce. Oh, yeah, because that, that was sort of my, like, the, the okay, let's talk about the whole Kool-Aid apple drinking stuff. Like, how, how do you see that whole, like, I don't know, because there's there's a couple of you guys, like the, the, the guys that write about Apple, that I when I read you guys, I sort of see that you always, you know, like Gruber always says, daring fireball, it's called daring fireball on Apple like Mackie McMack Mac site because he kind of wants to order Apple sites like the it doesn't have like Apple anywhere in the name because there's always this broader perspective there and I get the same feeling from you and like Andy and Natka and all of those guys but like where, where do you see yourself in that continuum from the guys that just do like proper like just Apple Kool-Aid drinking writing and like your stuff uh, do you know what I mean? Because yeah, there's like this broad spectrum. Like I don't, I don't know how you guys see it from like the inside. Because you know, whatever like John Siracusa writes, people usually like take notice. Like, where do you see yourself in that whole? You know. Well, you know, like the hypercritical podcast kind of outlined over two years or so. Uh, I'm always <laughs> looking. I'm always looking for what's wrong with stuff. Uh, and so my position is always going to be: let me figure out what Apple is doing wrong and explain why it's wrong. You know. That's where I'm coming from with everything. The things that I care about, I want to know how they're screwing up uh, and what's wrong. With it. And occasionally they'll do something really good and I'll explain why it's good. But a lot of the the sort of partisan Apple press, and it's diff- difficult to separate the partisan Apple press from everyone else when Apple's doing really well because the story's yeah, the same. That's... But a lot of the partisan Apple press, uh, when I read stuff, uh, if I get the impression that this writer started with the premise that Apple is good and right and then worked backwards to find facts and reasoning that fulfill that, even if their facts and reasoning are correct, and even if their facts and reasoning are clever and insightful, it it still seems invalid to me if they started from from the idea that, okay, given that Apple is the best company in the world and is doing everything right and and is super awesome, let me figure out uh, why that's the case. 
and then they'll just work backwards from there. And that is something I'm not interested in at all. I don't find it. It's it's not a useful thing to have out in the world. I think Apple does not need other people trying to do its PR or marketing for it. If Apple does tr- something truly great, by all means, explain why it's great. But don't start your you know before you put fingers to keyboard every single thing. Think about okay, here's the here's the situation in the world. Here's what Apple's position is. Now let me think about why Apple's position is right. You know that's not that's not where I come from ever. On what I'm always writing about is here's what Apple's doing. What's wrong with what Apple doing? What are they missing? What do they not see? Uh, how are they unintentionally setting themselves up for future failure? Uh, and the reason I write with that kind of passion is because I really like Apple and I don't want them to go away. And they almost died once before, so I'm always on them, like like, like a you know like a, a parent who's like looking over and says, "Just make make sure you don't screw up." Remember what happened last time when you almost went out of business? What are you doing? Are you sure that's the right thing to do? And I'm I'm not looking for explanations of why it's the right thing to do. The Apple's going to tell me that. Apple's going to say it's great because we are X, Y, and Z. I want to find out why they're what they don't see, what they're not telling me, what what's left unspoken. So that that's how I see myself in this world. I don't know how other people see me because I do praise Apple for the things that I like, and I do really like a lot about Apple. But I'm always looking for what they're doing wrong. Okay, and and like in that vein, I just wanted to ask you, like now that they're doing like great like apple is uh like how do you see because see i i have like this general problem with like american public corporations which like none of them sort of last that long basically and i don't know like there's like some political reason i think that's so but let's forget let's put that aside but like how do you see um apple like going forward in like in the, the same manner like i don't know i think ben thompson thompson or maybe like what is that you had this post where he said like there's a generation of apple execs now that just knows success basically like how how do you think that sort of like does that have a chance of creeping in and then like turning them into like a microsoft type deal or do you think they have those like checks and balances like in within the culture to prevent that from happening? Like I'm talking like midterm, like long term, you know, everybody dies. But like, at least midterm, like how how do you see that playing out? Because I I really wanted to hear you like talk about that. Because I, I think uh, Apple, any executive or anybody in a company today in the tech sector has the benefit of having excellent examples from recent history, from recent living history of companies that appeared to be invincible and were not. And it's not like they have to read case studies about things that happened before they were born. Everyone can look at Microsoft and say, oh, geez, what the hell happened there? Or SGI or Compaq or Hewlett Packard or Gateway or like all these companies in recent history that were contemporaries that at one point seemed to be on top of the world and stumbled for all the same reasons that you always stumble. You start to believe your own PR, you, you lose sight of the ball, you, you spend all your money and time defending your existing market without worrying about new ones, all that stuff. Uh, so there's no excuse, I think, for anybody involved in Apple now not to at least be aware this is what happens to companies in the tech sector. Was this just so many, so many bodies littered on the ground, so many examples of it happening? Uh, and Apple so far has shown that it understands that that's a thing that they need to look out for. I mean, the whole reason Apple is around today is because it was able to reinvent itself. Uh, you know, when Steve Jobs came back, he didn't say, boy, we're, re- we're, we're going to relitigate the personal computer desktop war and we're going to win this time. That's not what they did. They made the iPod and the iPhone. And if, the, if they hadn't done those two things, Apple computer as a company that sells like Macintosh computers would not be what it is today. They reinvented it. Apple is essentially a phone company now. And I think 
Apple has the institutional knowledge to know that in 50 years, Apple will not be a phone company. It will have to be a insert something here company. And it's Apple's job to figure out what the hell that insert something here is. And that's what I think they're always working towards is what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Like after the iPod came out, they didn't say, well, now we're the iPod company and forevermore we will be the iPod company. No, the, you know, the iPhone was next and maybe the iPad and whatever wearable thing they're going to do or maybe television. Like it's not like they're trying a million things and seeing what sticks, but they are. I think they are completely aware of the dynamic that you can't just say, you know, uh, a personal computer on every desk running Microsoft software. Even if you achieve that, you're still doomed in the long run because that's not going to be a relevant thing eventually. You see, but that, that's sort of my point. But when it's a publicly traded company, like aren't there like aren't like just the, just look at the, the the well the crap basically the analysts right and how Wall Street reacts. Like, does, isn't that like a big enough ball and chain to, to just drag any company like down? At only, some point, only if they believe that, only if like uh, uh, only if the people running that company feel beholden to that. But there is no, no you know, there's, there's so much there's like a lot of articles dispelling the myth that like, well, the company has to do what's best for the shareholders because the law says it does. Like that's mostly just sort of something that has come out in in the past few decades of like, well, that's just the way it is. Corporations just have to do what's better for the shareholders, even if that was true. Long term, what's best for the shareholders is for you to do what Apple is doing. Uh, and short term, who cares? Like, I, I you know, I, I think Apple's really? the type of like, company okay. would, that would, you know, go ahead, shareholders, sue us for doing what we're doing because we're destroying your value or whatever. But actually what we're doing is saving the company. Uh, I don't think that there is if you if you don't believe that as a CEO, if you if you don't feel beholden to those people, you aren't beholden to them. I don't think there's an actual mechanism to force you to do what they want. Really, that's okay. Because that you see, that that's the part I don't get. I guess because I just, I just, I just automatically think that that's basically how it works. Especially in America, that's sort of like, like it's just like the market is king, basically. And well, bad, like bad CEOs just, are like that. If you are a bad CEO and you just want short-term gain, and you, you know come into some company and you have something in your contract that says if the share price goes up by X percent, you get this golden parachute and you destroy the company over the course of the next three years, fulfilling your obligations according to your contract to raise the share price by X amount. And then you cash out and just spend the rest of your life on vacation. But the company is dead. Like there's, there's plenty of examples that happens all the time. But Apple is not Apple's not signed up for that. Everyone who's running Apple now is so filthy rich that they are not like, boy, if we could just goose the stock price, uh, you know, <laughs> a little bit more that like that's not what they're in it for. Right. And that's that's why they are the you know biggest or second biggest or whatever it is uh, company in the world, uh, according to market cap or whatever stat they're using. These like that. That's why they're successful, because they're not in it for the money. It's all, you know, sounds cliche. Oh, don't be in it for the money. But like but seriously, like that's I don't think it's anything inherent in the system itself. It's just. It's short-term thinking versus long-term thinking, and it's high-minded thinking versus let me just get rich type of thinking. Okay, you actually think like okay, I guess you do that. That's actually possible. Like you know, again, in a publicly traded corporation, because I just I don't know, I don't buy that sort of like in the long term. Like I, I just think that kind of works when you have like a CEO like Tim Cook, maybe or maybe when well, Jobs Steve, was around. Steve, you know? Steve Jobs wasn't in it for the money. And I can guarantee like even, even when there's like corporate BS happening with like personality conflicts like Forstall going out, Forstall wasn't in it for the money, right? None of these guys were. Bertrand Serlet, who recently left the company, he wasn't in it. All these people have all the money they're ever going to need. They, I mean, it sounds stupid. They, they want to change the world. Or even if you don't want to say they want to change the world, they want to produce products that 
are successful so that their name is remembered as someone who made amazing things. They don't want to be remembered as, boy, that guy really knew how to make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and I actually get that. It's just the, the, the way that, like, uh, uh, you know, like corporations work, like, nah, that sounded really activist, but, like, public corporations in the U.S. work when, when you're kind of tied into that, into, like, Wall Street, basically. I just, I think some of, that, some of that gets eroded over time. Like, even if you're in it for the, you know, let's change the world, I think some of that oh, yeah, basically no, it, gets eroded. It, that is the opposing force. You are, you, are the, you are the stone in the river, and it is the, the water and the grit. And, yeah, you, it's... You have to be careful, otherwise you just let that shape you. But I, I mean, there are so many things in the world where that's the case, where there is the devil on your shoulder and the angel on your shoulder. And just because the devil is there doesn't mean it wins all the time. No, I, I hope you're right, man. That's like, <laughs> I'm not as optimistic, but yeah, like in regards to Apple, because I, they, they, I hope they do great for a very long time. Basically, I just have this deep, uh, like, untrust, uh, distrust. I guess uh, what's the word? Uh, the, you know. Uh, basically, the whole market system that it's just, I don't know, I'm always wary of that, basically. I think, I mean, like like we were alluding to before, the biggest danger for Apple and companies like it is not that the, you know, as a publicly traded company, they will start doing things, start falling victim to short-term thinking to satisfy the market, but rather that, that they, what will happen to them is what happened to Microsoft, where they will just start believing that they are masters of the universe and no one can stop them and what they're currently good at is the only thing they'll ever need to be good at and they can you know spend all their energy defending their current great market and trying to crush anyone who's an upstart like that's how these companies fail not because the people start doing what wall street wants but rather because they lose sight of like what it is that it takes to make a company successful over many many decades rather than just in you know your career or your lifetime or whatever yeah, but you do have to admit, like, there's not that many examples of companies that think like that. You know, yeah. even in America, like, actual, you know, like, uh, the company culture and the leadership that actually thinks that long term. Like, in America. Yeah, it's, I, it's I'm difficult. I'm going to say in the world. It doesn't, yeah, it's it, not that it, really it, an American thing. but It's difficult because uh, people die eventually. They retire and they die and they're replaced <laughs> well, yeah. by other people. And unless you're able to successfully sort of transfer that... Uh, that ethos uh, and that awareness to a generation that didn't experience the things that you experienced, uh, eventually you'll be gone and some whole new crop of people will be running the company. Uh, and that's the difficult thing. Like, to how, how do you pass that culture on in a way that it sticks? Because the new crop of people uh, might not, like, it's hard to believe when people say, this is what you have to do and let me tell you why, because this is what happened to us. But if they didn't live through it, uh, I mean, like you said, the people who are running the, uh, Apple who had only known success, if they didn't live through the near-death experience, if they didn't live through the dawning of the Mac, or pretty soon if they didn't live through the iPod and the iPhone and just assume those things always existed, uh, they may not. Uh, they may nod and intellectually understand all the things you're telling them, but they may not know or to believe it in their gut. So, uh, yeah, that kind of cultural transfer across generations of people is is always very difficult. I think if people live for five or six hundred years instead of less than a hundred, uh, then the company, the, the average lifetime of company would be longer. Because really, uh, like if you look at the lifetime of companies, they are similar to the lifetimes of people just stretched out longer. Like how many generations can you keep this going? How long will people respect uh, the foundations that Steve Jobs and Tim Cook and this crew have laid down before they say, you know, those guys aren't here now and they don't know anything and really they had it wrong and we need to do something totally different. 
Yeah, that, that, yeah, that transfer of culture is but like that interests me the most, basically. And that's why I think it's like a, a credit to Apple with the whole Steve Jobs, uh, like Tim Cook uh, transition, which was it's actually kind of amazing. That I, I mean, it, I, I know that Tim Cook has been there for a while, but like that, like a leadership on that scale and to just, like, you know, for the curve to just keep going up. I think that is pretty much amazing. Like I don't, I don't, I or at least I don't. I'm not aware of a like a similar transition in a company that big that went that smoothly. And by smoothly, I just mean that they keep doing the right thing, seemingly not smoothly in the, like you know being profitable and all of that stuff. Because when you look at like that Microsoft, you know their CEO transitions, you know that was not smooth, not, not smooth at all. No. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, and that's being kind, basically. Well, I mean, it, look at—I would say look to Pixar because uh, that's another company with a similar ethos, and the ethos is not—I uh, mean, it, the thing that's passed on between Steve Jobs and Tim Cook is not uh, here's the way Steve Jobs did things; you should do things the same. The, the ethos is, uh, you know, you can't just because you're successful now doing what you're doing. That doesn't mean that you're going to be successful doing that in the long term. You have to, you know, find out what's next. Keep pushing the boundaries, you know. Uh, and so, what Steve Jobs passed on to Tim Cook is not uh, keep running the company exactly the way I would, but rather you got to do what's right for the company. And that's not much help unless you know what's right for the company. And the, but the next step is what's right for the company is not always going to be make awesome iPhones or make awesome iPods or make it's always going to be something else. You're always going to have to reinvent the company and get good at things you're not good at and find new avenues to sell things because nothing lasts forever, especially in technology. Uh, it doesn't matter how awesome of a mainframe manufacturer you are pr pretty soon. That's not going to be a very big business compared to selling phones. And if you had said that, you know, 50 years ago, Selling phones? Are you kidding? They don't they come free when you buy phone service from AT and What do you mean selling phones? We sell millions of dollars worth of mainframes. We're never going to be, you know, a company that sells phones is going to make more money than us. That's ridiculous. Like you never know what it's going to be. So that's what's passed on, not not the specific things. And I mentioned Pixar because it's a Steve Jobs type of company as well. And because if you read uh, Ed Catmull's recent book Creativity Inc., he goes over. The, a similar ethos. You have to actually look at what your business is and what the the, the actual problems are, and uh, not be afraid to change and to uh, you know reassess how you've performed and make radical changes in the hopes of doing it better next time, even if you're successful the whole way through. Yeah, but those changes on uh, like the scale that you know, Apple's at, man, that's a big like you know uh, ship to turn in any direction. <laughs> Like that—that's why I'm sort of impressed by the whole transition. Like I—that just seems like magic to me, basically. Well, they're not out of the woods yet because Tim well, Cook yeah, is still, I, you know, he's still not. They say he's coasting on the things, but like Apple, when when he took over, Apple was a phone company that also sold iPads and Macs, and it still kind of is. And if he hangs around long enough, Apple will eventually have to be a different one-sentence description, and it's his job to figure out what that new one-sentence description is and to bring the company there. Well, yeah, that is true, but you know, like there, there, there have been many companies that that have sort of had that change and the decline sort of happened really, like you know, faster, I guess, and like just nothing changed there. Again, Microsoft, but yeah, we we've already covered that, or, or even <laughs> IBM, because like IBM, oh yeah, yeah. In this class of people, and it, what it did was said it was that a micro, uh, IBM is going to become a services company essentially, uh, and it it successfully transitioned to that. that that's the trick about this thing is. Be sure that the thing you're transitioning to is is something you actually want to be. 
And it may not have seemed, for example, at first glance that a company known for making personal computers would ever want to be a company known for making phones or making most of their money off phones. Uh, but it turns out that phones can you know, be just as interesting as personal computers. In fact, perhaps more interesting because more people can afford them and, and more people have them because everyone feels like they need one, except for me, apparently. Uh, <laughs> and so that fits with the ethos of Apple, the company. Like, is, the, is there something underlying? Is there something underneath Apple besides the specific products they're making? Is there something that makes it feel like Apple? And I think there is. And I think the iPhone and the iPad fit into that. Whereas you could say, is there something underneath IBM that makes it feel like IBM, even if they're not making personal computers or mainframes? Uh, so the, being a services company feels like something different. And I think once the spirit of the company changed in that way, it was never going to be the company that it once was. Uh, and that's, I mean, was it successful? I mean, IBM didn't go out of business. They, they are a going concern that makes money. But being a services company feels different than being the the IBM that made the you know the uh, main, the mainframe or or the personal computer or any of those things. Yeah. Okay, so uh what what um we're talking about services. Like cuz you're the guy that actually points this out all the time. But like with the WDC like you've had some time to think about it. Like all of the cloud stuff they're doing like Apple is doing. Like how optimistic are you that that's actually going to work? And like I know this is like a douchey question because nothing's you know you haven't been able to use like any of it. But like seriously, like how how optimistic are you? Uh, I'm more optimistic than I've ever been, but that's not saying much. Uh, <laughs> really, with all of these things, like you you uh, in some ways you you don't even care so much about what the tech is. If they wanted to do all of this using like hamsters and wheels, you'd be like, I don't know, hamsters and wheels. That's not what everyone else is doing. You sure that's going to work? But if when they ship the thing, you know, all the synchronization and cloud stuff works and it's always available and, and it, it, you know, it, it happens without error instantly, you're like, well, I don't care that you're using hamsters and wheel, everything works, right? Now what they're saying is we're using technology and, you know, arrangements of uh, frameworks and APIs that is much more uh, like what everyone else who is successful in this space is doing. And so you're like, good, thumbs up on that. But you still got to make it so that, you know, when I turn everything on, everything syncs and I don't have to, I'm not missing any data. I don't get any duplicate contacts. I don't have to wait a million years for my messages to appear. Things come in the right order. Everything is always in sync. If I hold two iOS devices up in front of me, they're in the same app. The screens look the same because everything is synced, right? And if I'd send a message on one or add some item on this, I wait a couple seconds and it appears on the other one every single time without fail until I can trust it. That is, that's what they have to do. Uh, and so I'm glad that the tech and everything and the infrastructure behind it looks like it's much better, but the proof is in the pudding. And unfortunately, this is unfortunate for OS 10 reviews. I'm not going to know whether they've pulled it off by reviewing it because this yeah. OS is going to ship to people about the same day my review is published. And at that point, I have no idea if it will hold up under the load of all these people. All I can do is use it during the development period. And during the development period, most of the OS is broken because it's not done yet, right? It's still baking. So it's so hard. It's the one thing you can't do with an OS review that's published on the day the OS comes out. You can't really make any definitive statements about reliability and uh, you know and how how fast things are going to be and how responsive servers will be because it's like one ten millionth of the normal load on those servers during the the development period because it hasn't been released to the general public yet. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, well, yeah, it does. So, but yeah, but the the, the thing is, you see, the, the, me being like a guy with an access phone, I sort of see how Google does stuff on the services side, and I know that's like trite at this point, but that that's what I want. I'd like an iPhone, 
like with iOS, but with the whole sync thing, like the, that works the way it does on Google side. And like, I, I, I'm not like, it's like Apple's not there yet. And I'm, I'm sort of hoping that they're getting there now, maybe. But yeah, like I get, yeah, we're going to see because the, the uh, user base of iOS is not small. So all of that stuff working the way it's supposed to, that's, you know, it's going to be a, a small miracle, I think. But yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's it it hasn't worked out well for us yet. But you figure with all these defeats, all these times that Apple has talked the good talk and failed to walk the walk, that they're learning from them. Like that, that's what you'd hope is that the, you know again the system and and the uh, the, the infrastructure that Apple has provided corp uh, you know from the corporate leadership and everything is that come on guys, we got to learn from our mistakes. We got to do better next time. Not just like do better by like really buckle down, guys, but look at why we failed and see is there something structural in the company that's causing that failure and try to change it. And they've made a couple of runs of this and it hasn't worked out yet. But the same could be true of their next generation operating system where they made a couple of different runs at it and none of them worked until they uh, finally found the right one. So, you know, maybe what is this? The third, fourth times the charm, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever attempt they're up to in their online stuff. Uh, we're hoping this is the one. Yeah, and then like I just listened to the latest ATP like last night, and like you guys talked about that anonymous email that said that the server side guys in Apple are like, basically a separate company and stuff. And I just I just shook my head basically for ten minutes when I listen. Like I hope that's not true. Yeah, we we like, got some feedback that con- con- more anonymous feedback that contradicts that. So that's the problem with anonymous okay. feedback. Anybody can yeah, write anything yeah, okay. in that box. So you just have to take it all with a grain of salt. But like okay. you hear you hear something enough from enough different sources, you know there must be some kernel of truth. But most people who write in like that usually have a particular point of view or an axe to grind or both. And so, even if they're 100% truthful, that perspective is not necessarily the whole story. Okay. Well, okay. That that that's put my mind at ease a little. I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be in the follow up of next uh, the next show. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So okay, I'm going to ask you about your hardware and software, but but just before we do that, I just because uh, you're a gamer and you're basically a Nintendo guy, as I am. Because I've, I, I, the only Nintendo I don't own is the Wii U and the original NES. I started with the Super Nintendo. I never had the Nintendo Entertainment System. So uh, I just, um, how how good are you at Mario Kart? I know that's a weird question, but this one's for me. But like, how how good are you at Mario Kart? Like all of the different iterations. Like, are you any good at Mario Kart? Basically? I was. That's my question. Pretty darn good at Double Dash because Double Dash we had at a, a job I had back around uh, 2001, 2002 ish, uh, and we played Mario Kart Double Dash uh, as a company uh, pretty much every day at lunchtime for. A year, a year and a half, I got pretty darn good at it. Double Dash still is my favorite iteration of the game. But prior to that, I had played the Nintendo 64 version, which I liked and I was okay at. I mean, I'm I'm good enough that I can beat beat the games. You know, unlock mirror mode, beat all the levels in that come in first place. All that, all the stuff that you can unlock in the games, I can unlock. But when like the Wii version came out and it had online play, playing online, I am you know, bottom, you know, bottom quarter of the pack <laughs> because those people spend way more time playing these things than I do. Now, I still contend that if there was online play for Double Dash in my Double Dash Prime, I would have been mid-pack easily. But right now, yeah, I'm all right. I mean, you sit down with a bunch of casual people who have never played before, obviously I'm going to beat them because I know the courses, but any serious Mario Kart player is, is probably going to beat me at this point. Yeah, that's what happened to me on the DS. Like, I thought I was, like, 
I basically beat the game, and I, like you said, and then I went online and some Japanese dude basically humiliated me, and then I didn't go online for about two months yeah, after that. The world is a big just, place. <laughs> yeah, and people have more time to play games basically than I do. So, yeah. Okay, so sorry, that was I had to ask that because Mario Kart is my Nintendo game basically. It's not Zelda. Well, you got to get like, a Wii U now because Mario Kart Eight is. Uh, I, I know. I still I know. like Double Dash better. I feel like Double Dash is more of a pure driver's game. Mario Kart Eight is kind of dumbed down, but it's super fun. You see, that's the thing, because that, that's why I like the original DS version, because it felt sort of like uh, like the original Super Nintendo version, and but it didn't have that dumbed down feeling. Like you, even on like the sixty four, I think like the steering was a lot easier and stuff. I think like uh, the uh, I, and I heard that Mario Eight is sort of more in that way than the whole drive, like you said, like a driver's game basically. But yeah, I, I'm, I keep looking at the Wii U, but I'm gonna wait a couple of years. And then I'll get it and I'll get the Mario Kart, basically. That's what I'm going to do, I think. But yeah, sorry, that was like a weird tangent about Mario Kart, but I had to ask you. <laughs> so, um, so, okay, well, I'm going to, like, this is the, the last portion of every episode where I ask you about your hardware and software. So, like, and I want to hear exactly which phone you have. So, like, <laughs> all right, so, so hardware-wise, what, what, what does John Syracuse use on a daily basis? My phone, I don't even know what the specific model is. I think it's a Motorola V170. Uh, if you Google for, every time I Google for Motorola V170, it shows me a phone that looks vaguely like mine. But anyway, I care so little for my phone <laughs> that I don't even know the exact model. And I had to replace my previous phone because it was using a technology that was being phased out. Like, I don't know if it was like analog signaling. I don't know enough about the the cell <laughs> service here. But like they said, that I, I, it's a prepaid thing. Like it's from TrackPhone is the company here. And you just, you know, you prepay for minutes or whatever. And I have like every year I accumulate more minutes. Uh, but they said, oh, you, the phone you have from us is no longer going to work, so you need to get a new phone. So I just got whatever was the cheapest one they had. It's a piece of crap. Anyway, uh, that's my phone. My Mac is still a 2008 Mac Pro, uh, 2.8 gigahertz. It's filled up with four hard drives. It's got 16 gigs of RAM. Uh, I have replaced the video card with a uh, what is it, Radeon 5770. Uh, so it can actually play games that have been released in the past few years without... Uh, being totally embarrassing, I was planning on buying a new new Mac Pro, but they're just too darn expensive and aren't even the fastest thing you can buy uh, for playing games. So I'm not going to spend seven grand on a computer uh, that doesn't play modern games faster than uh, computers that cost way, way less. I know, um, but you can design a house on it, basically. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, like, I mean, I think I, I, like the iPhone, I think I will eventually get a new Mac Pro because this thing's not going to live forever. Uh, I just hope they, you know... I hope they either produce one with a better video card or reduce the price or both. Um, yeah. But you, like the size will blow your mind. We had a review unit at the magazine I write for, and it it it, it really like it's it's weird well, how I've, small it is. I've seen them. I've seen them. Oh no! But like uh, the the guy that reviewed it had to use it for like a couple of weeks, and when it sits on the desk, it really it's just it like every time you walk by, it's like that cannot be that powerful. Yeah, like, well, it's, just it's, it's always going to take up more room than my current Mac Pro, which is not on my desk at all. So <laughs> even though it's so small, it will take up a spot on my desk that is now currently has nothing on it. So oh yeah. But under your desk, you have a, like a machine as big as a, you know. <laughs> yes, it is. Very, I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it is very big. It's nice space heater in the winter. <laughs> All right, sorry. Go on, sorry. Thanks. All right, so I've got uh, the current iPod Touch, which is this ancient thing anyway, but it is actually the uh, best iPod Touch you can buy, even though it's 
whatever, two years old or whatever it is now. I've got an iPad 3, which I really like. Uh, I mean, it's it's big and it's heavy, but the battery life has been great. It's got a retina screen. I didn't buy an iPad I, until they came out with a retina screen because when they introduced the iPad, it was clear that eventually they would introduce a retina model, and I figured I could wait. Uh, I did wait. Once again, my wife couldn't wait. She has an iPad 2 with a non-retina screen. She also has an iPad mini with a non-retina screen. But me, I was patient, and I have an iPad with a retina screen. So I'm very happy with my iPad 3. Obviously, I would like an Air, but I think I can last a couple more. You know, I already lasted two generations past this. There was the iPod 4, and there's the iPad Air. Maybe the next iPad, I'll replace it. I think the only reason I'll replace my iPad is when the battery starts going bad. And right now, it's still getting all-day battery life, so not a big deal. Um, yeah, and then uh, when you replace it, you're gonna have like at least two gigs of RAM, hopefully. Oh yeah, just that's the other thing. Like the longer <laughs> I wait, the more I can, you know. It's like it's like when I refuse to get for the longest time, I refuse to upgrade my Mac. I had a blue and white uh, G3. Uh, I refused to get a newer Mac because the bus speed was so embarrassing. It was like I forget how fast the processor was, but the, the you know the front side bus was like 133 megahertz, and it was like a you know a gigahertz or something. <laughs> it was it was ridiculously unbalanced machine. So I did not buy a new Tower Mac until they came out with the Power Mac G5 that finally had a balance between the front side bus and and the CPU speed. You know, and I, I'm good at waiting a long time for the Mac that I want, and uh, it usually works out for me. Uh, software wise, uh, I don't know. What do you want to know? That I use a lot of software. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, but I actually like uh, stuff that's iPad specific. If you could start with, it. I always ask that because I think like uh, like tablet apps are sort of a thing that doesn't get mentioned a lot. So stuff you actually like use on the iPad a lot, and it, maybe it's iPad specific or maybe it's uh, like a universal app. Or... Well, you know, I use Safari a lot on my iPad. I use a Twitter app on my iPad a lot because mostly what I'm doing on Twitter is uh, tapping links in people's tweets, and I want them to show in a big big web browser, not like the little mobile version or whatever. So I do a lot of Twitter reading with Twitterific on my iPad. I use Safari for my browser there. I use the Instapaper app to because a lot of times when I know I don't have time to read something when I'm reading Twitter, I'll send it to Instapaper. And then when I do have time, I'll read it on my iPad. Uh, I use Reader, uh, the RSS reader on the iPad. Uh, briefly, Reader didn't work and I used something else in between, but now I'm back to it now. Uh, what else do I use on the iPad? Some games, uh, you know, uh, Scrabble-type games, Letterpress, uh, Threes, uh, Super Hexagon, whatever the, the, the game of the week is that I play through and then delete. Um, I don't know. What else do I do on the iPad? If I had it in front of me, would it be more instructive? I mean, I have everything <laughs> on there that you expect. I have Dropbox. I have Simple Note. I use the built-in Notes app. I have Solver on there. Like, I have tons of apps. And I don't... It's not like I have tons of apps and I never use them. I have tons of apps and I use at least a couple screens worth on a semi-regular basis. Right. And as far as games go, I know you said like the, the sort of Scrabble type stuff, but um, any games on the iPad that actually sort of, you know, you'd call a, like a proper game, like not like a yeah. mind thing or a, like well, that I mean, you actually like. There's the ports, like Limbo was ported to the iPad, but like I had played that long since on the, on the Mac or PC or whatever. Uh, so I guess those kind of don't count, but uh Sword and Sorcery, I really liked as something that was, you know, an interesting game that probably wouldn't have been as viable if the iPad didn't exist. Uh, the game that I never hear anyone mention, but the only game I've ever played on the iPad that has what I feel like is acceptable arcade style control, like where you'd normally be using with a joystick or something or a keyboard or uh, on the PC. Uh, because every time they have those virtual D-pads or something, they're all super terrible. Oh, yeah. So the yeah. only game that I found that has an acceptable control is a, a game called Bit Pilot, 
which you control with oh. two thumbs, and I think it like adds the vectors of your two thumbs. So if you shove both your thumbs in one direction, it's it's a harder pull than shoving one thumb one direction and one and uh, and leave the other still. And in fact, you can put two thumbs in sort of not opposite, but like different directions, and the sum of the vector. Like it sounds like it wouldn't work, but it's the only game that feels natural for me. It's it's a fairly okay game, but I would encourage people if you were developing a game for iOS and you want to know is it possible to have arcade type control on an iPad with a touch screen? Yes, it is possible. Uh, do what the BitPilot guys did. Um, and <laughs> I like, uh, I think the most interesting and affecting gaming experience I've had on the iPad is Year Walk, which is a game that takes advantage of the iPad in clever ways and is also a very uh, interesting and fun game, if you like, sort of mist-style puzzle games with a dark edge. Uh, and we just talked about Monument Valley, which I thought was an okay game overall, but beautifully made and worth seeing just, especially on a Retina iPad, worth seeing just to experience it since it's uh, so short. I don't know. Am I forgetting any other games that are on there? Like, uh, I, I always like playing the, the ridiculous games like Impossible Road or Super Hexagon. I just want to I like seeing games. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm no good at them, but I like, or, or the new one that's out, it's VVVV. I forget how many Vs there are. That was you know, oh, yeah, a, the, yeah. a PC port, but I, I like seeing how's that going to play uh, on the iPad. Okay, and, and then just on the desktop, like any games you're you're currently like really enjoy. I know Journey. We're just I'm gonna put Journey into the show notes, but that's, like that's any not other, on the desktop. Well, that's not on the desktop. It's okay. Consoles and the desktop, like any uh, like any games you're uh, like really enjoying and maybe aren't as yeah. you know uh, prevalent. I guess. Like most gamers, I have a tremendous number of games that I have purchased on Steam and and never launched. Like not, not only not finished, but never launched. So when I open Steam, it's kind of like my little source of shame. Uh, but the next one I know that I have in the queue is the second season of The Walking Dead game. I really enjoyed the first season of that game. And I'm oh, yeah, I played playing the second. Like, I forget when I bought it. Did I pre-order it? Like, I, it's, it's bought, it's downloaded, like, or it's downloading the episodes as they're released. Uh, I might just wait for that whole season to be out before I play it. But I really like the first one. Um I play all the same games that everyone else plays on the PC. Like all the sort of darling indie games come out. I try them. I, I tend to skew a little bit more obscure. So like everyone played Win Limbo, but did everybody play? God, I don't even remember the name of it. Uh, that game where you're on like, where it's all pixel art and you're on an island and the seasons change. God, hmm. I can't, can't even remember what the name of it is anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah but you're, you're more of an indie guy on the desktop, I guess. Yeah. Like, like not the gone AAA home, stuff. You know, like, <laughs> That's if there is a, a trendy indie game, I will probably buy it and I will maybe play it depending on uh, on uh, you know what the reviews are. And of course, like I like all the the the, the more popular game that indie people love as well, like the Portal series, and uh, you know obviously Half Life. If they ever come out with the new <laughs> with Half Life Three, I'll play that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. no, not so much into the multiplayer, not so much into the turn-based things, not so much into anything that's like legal, League of Legends or Dota or anything like that. I'm not. That's not my kind of game. Yeah. Well, here's hoping to Half Life Three, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm, I, I, yeah, I've given up. But well, but you I'm, know, not, I'm not maybe. waiting. Like I feel like they still have a few years for that because I only played Half Life Two like fairly recently. In in you know oh, okay. compared to compared to the people who had gaming PCs when the game came out. So I feel like yeah, you got a few more years in Half Life Three. I'm you know I'm just waiting for the Last Guardian on consoles, and that's what I'm much. Yeah, about. yeah, because yeah, the Shadow of the Colossus is old now, basically. <laughs> yeah, because no, I, I played those on the PS2, so there I have had a long. Yeah, like, I played those in real time. You see, I'm the same with Half Life because I basically the original Half Life is the reason I'm on Windows. 
Because that game was that I, I like I I don't think people realize how good that game was. Yeah, there was for almost, that time. There was like, almost a Mac port ready, and then they said, you know what? <laughs> yeah, I know. Cancel it, and so I kind of have a grudge against them for that. <laughs> oh man, I still remember because uh, before the fight, the CD would spin because the music would play off the CD. That's like that's like like my most vivid memory of Half Life One, basically. Because every time like there was a big fight, they did have this like techno music playing. And like you just hear the CD spears, like okay, shit's gonna go down. Basically, <laughs> that was like. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I'm not as uh, um, I don't forgive them for like uh, the fact that Half Life Three is not out yet. I'm I'm really angry. Basically, <laughs> like I just every time there's like uh, like a fake rumor that comes out, I just I I'm just disappointed all over again. I saw on Twitter that you were bummed, where like you were relieved when that rumor came out that the Last Guardian was canceled. <laughs> that was funny well, to me. But I woke up to well, it in the morning and it was like it wasn't a rumor. It was like Last Guardian canceled and with a link. But then I followed the <laughs> link and you read the link and you quickly realize this is not a definitive statement that a game was canceled. This is just someone speculating. And then I felt better. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That like, yeah, that's how I feel with the Half Life Three links, basically. Because like every couple of like months, there's a thing where it says, "Well, Valve basically gave up, I guess." And then when you read it, it's the "I guess" part is like the, the most important thing. Yeah, if but I yeah. had to choose uh, whether I would have rather had Half Life Three out now or Portal Two released when it was, I would choose Portal Two because I'm more of a fan of Portal series than I am of the Half Life series, and I thought Portal Two was great. So uh, I think things are uh, working out. Well, to me, that's blasphemy, but I, I, I Portal, <laughs> Portal 2 is great. I'll, I'll give you that, yeah. And I actually, play, I actually played Portal 2 on the Xbox, and it like that, It was actually, like, it was okay. Like, it, the controls and stuff, I mean, because I'm, I'm a mouse and, you know, keyboard guy when it comes to first-person stuff, but, like, that, that's the only one I actually enjoyed on the console. Yeah, I had the PS3 version of, of Portal 2, only because, like, they had this thing where if you bought the PS3 version, you got the Mac and the PC version for free, or anyway, you bought, you bought the game once and you got all three versions. So, obviously, I played it on the Mac. Actually, I played it half on the PC and half on the Mac, more or less, depending on whether I was in the mood to reboot. Uh, but I also have it on the PS3, and I tried it there, and I just I just cannot stand uh, first-person yeah. shooter controls. The only game that I played on a console that, that was first-person that I felt was a good game that I enjoyed uh, was Metroid Prime and that whole series. But the control scheme, even in Metroid Prime, drove me nuts because I I was you know used to the NES Metroid, and all of a sudden you're this slow-moving tank, and I'm like, this is not what Metroid's about. But really, the game <laughs> was about exploration and upgrading your weapons. yeah, but what, they got that yeah, part but. Right. Yeah, but with the GameCube con- cube controller, it was o- like it was okay. The- I agree with that completely, because like that and GoldenEye are like the two games on Nintendo's consoles with like, the first-person games that they were actually enjoyable. I cannot think of any others. Basically, I had fun with uh, on the N64, even though the fog distance was like three feet in front of your nose. With uh, the Turok uh, Dinosaur Hunter series, really, they had, I, they had, I hated that game. Like, there was some terrible of the, stuff yeah. in that game, but like, <laughs> I, and I guess it's, it's all we kind of had to play with. Like I said, the fog distance was crazy, and they had first-person platforming, which was just incredibly punitive and yes. terrible. <laughs> but yes, but it was all we had, and I spent like. I don't know. I got I got pretty good at that game. It's the only game that I got kind of good at using, you know, thumbsticks to do first person stuff. But yeah, it was not a good game. I won't really defend it. But I did have fun playing it in a similar manner that I had fun playing Goldeneye because I think Goldeneye didn't control that well either. But if there's enough other fun stuff and you have other people around you who are into playing it, it can be fun. 
Well, yeah, okay. But yeah, Turok with the platforming stuff, that's just... I don't know why they do that in first-person like shooters or games. Like, why just and, jump? Uh, and Metroid Prime had a little bit of it, too, and I didn't like it there either. Yeah, but... Yeah, but it, with Metroid, it was different because, like you said, you were the slow thing that sort of, like, the gravity was, like, not Earth-like, I guess, which makes sense. But it's sort of, you know, when when, when you jump and the jump is kind of longer, it, I, I'm okay with that when you can control the guy in the air, basically. But with Turak, you just basically you just died all the time. <laughs> Secret was, in what, Turok was to use the map. Because if you use the overlay map, just don't even look at what's on the screen. Just look at your dot on the map, and then you can land on those stupid little platforms (laughs) okay i did not know that because well i actually gave up on it so yeah that's okay uh uh, this is an hour now i don't want to keep you but my last question which is always the same if you had to pick like pick one thing which is like it's it's not allowed to be a person basically a thing it can be a computer or not like i've gotten weird answers that like made an impact on your life you might still have it you might not but like if you had to pick one thing what would that be Oh, that's an easy answer. Uh, the obvious answer is the original Mac that I got, which is now I it was motherboard upgraded to a plus, which is something that Apple used to let you do back in the day, believe it or not, at great expense. <laughs> but it was an original Macintosh, the 128K Macintosh that came into my life and changed my life essentially because prior to that, my computer was a rented VIC-20. And the technological and psychological gap between a VIC-20 and the original Macintosh is just vast. Uh, and so that... <laughs> That changed my life, that one machine. Uh, I'm not sure I would say it felt like it was made for me, which is what it says in your little explanation page. Like, what, what have yeah. you that felt like it was made for you? Did it feel like it was made for me? I don't know. I felt like I was made for it, more like that. But if, <laughs> if I had to pick the thing that felt like it was made for me, the other choice would be my uh, Mongoose BMX bike that I got. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, when I don't remember how old I was. Maybe I was 9 or 10 or something. Uh, it was... I didn't expect to get the Mac because I didn't even know the Mac existed or anything, but I knew the Mongoose existed and I really wanted it and didn't expect to get it and I got it and I think I got more more enjoyment out of that bike than any other thing that I've owned including that original Macintosh because eventually the original Macintosh got replaced but I just kept riding that bike like forever. I mean, I eventually graduated to 10 speeds because I needed to go longer distances and stuff but uh, I still have that bike. Uh, I still have the original Mac as well, and it's a tough race between the two of them, which, which was more important in my life. Certainly, the Mongoose uh, brought me closer to death many, many more times than the Mac did. It's not quite as dangerous to use the Mac, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, two, two-way tie. Wow, so you actually have a Mongoose BMX like, still like, yeah, it's in your house somewhere. Sitting in my garage and trying to get my daughter to ride it. Right now she's riding this, this bike that's too small for her that's pink, and she has learned to ride it without training wheels, and I try to let her graduate up to the Mongoose, but she is still a little bit scared of it. That is awesome, man. <laughs> I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna put down both in the show notes, but the, like the Mongoose BMX, that's something I did not expect from, like, from you. If you basically. want to Google for it, it's a, it's a black Mongoose Californian. I think it's 1984, but I'm not entirely sure what the year is. Uh, but if you just uh, Google for black Mongoose Californian, you will find pictures of my bike. <laughs> that's awesome john that's like, <laughs> I, I, and a bmx is an answer i've never gotten and like like uh, with the slovene interviews like this is my 77th interview so you know uh, as far as that goes it's a unique answer so you know uh th- that that's pretty much it like thank you like very much for doing this uh and i'm, I'm gonna thank glenn again with the emails because <laughs> 
It's like, it's insane. Like that guy, I just, I cannot he, thank him enough. He knows everybody <laughs> and everybody knows him or so, yeah, or so he will it. tell you. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I think like at this point I'm starting to think that that's actually true. Yeah, it, pro- so, it probably yeah. is actually true. Okay. So uh, me and John are about to say goodbye to each other, but then we uh, actually kept on talking for quite a while. So I use some of that uh, as a sort of an after dark thing. And since I've never done one of those, this is just me explaining it. So I'll just shut up now and you can listen to the rest of the show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, John, thank you. Thank you. This is it. Thank yeah, you. It, and thank basically. you for waking up early in the morning to accommodate the crazy time difference. Uh, not a problem. Like my, my ankle is better, so it's, oh, yes. it's, it's fine. Oh, this is another thing. <laughs> you could, sitting in front of a computer doesn't involve your ankle, so you're, you're all set. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, this is my second day off the crutches. So, you know, uh, like the curve is going up, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Th- uh, that's it. I know. I enjoyed your, I enjoyed your, uh, like the Hall of Mirrors effect of listening to your episode with Merlin because you had quote the opening of the show was a segment from Merlin's show talking about you being on the show <laughs> that I was about to listen to. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah, I, I had to do that. And I love the fact that he said Bella Lugosi because I actually know who that is. Yeah, and that's like, uh, yeah, that was, that was my, one of my the favorite only people things. We, <laughs> We can't name a lot of uh, famous people from your part of the world, nor can we locate where you live on a map. But we could say that guy's <laughs> accent sounds a little bit like that guy who played Dracula. Yeah, which was like that. Like uh, I, I actually woke up when that episode of Back to Work uh, came out, and I had like like direct messages from I think like Mike Hurley and a couple of other people. Like you have to like just they just told me where where like the timestamp basically. So like that Back to Work episode, I just heard like that like <laughs> that part first because <laughs> I had like seven DMs from people. Uh, so yeah. Oh, there's a, there's a, uh, like, uh, trust me, like in Slovenia, you, you, you guys have fans. Like I'm talking about ATP now. Yeah. Like people actually, like they, they know about ATP, like not a lot of them because there's 2 million of us. So you can have to kind of scale it down right, right. <laughs> to like just nerds that like Apple stuff basically. But yeah, like people do actually know, like, and like when I did the episode with Merlin and I, I talked about, uh, you look nice today, which is like one of my favorite things yep. like that. And I'm going to say it hypercritical also, but like, those are like the deep podcasts as far as I'm concerned. And like, I just got emails from people like, you know, you look nice today. And I just thought I was like, seriously, I was like the only one listening to it. Like I just, that blew my mind. Like, I don't, I like from Slovenia people that actually knew, cause it's not a techy thing. Like that podcast should not have existed when it did. That's my thing. Yeah, and like, all the cultural references in it are like, you know, American cultural references, not not universal. <laughs> like half of the in jokes are like, have they seen that television commercial? Because it was a commercial that was on in English when we were kids in, in the 70s. And like, how is that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But see, I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of lucky because my dad does like advertising and design. So I saw like he went to the Cannes Advertising Festival for a bunch of years and he just brought back like VHS tapes of the like the commercial that commercials that like the company submitted. So I got basically like the best of American commercials for like seven years straight on VHS and I would just watch them. Which sounds like insane. But well, I that, that's what that. I was worried about from like people, you know, even people I know who come over here and say, oh, I learned English by watching American TV. And it's like, boy, what you must think. Like, cause, you know, when you're growing up in America, you realize like that, that I love Lucy and uh, leave it to Beaver are not representative of anything. They're just TV shows. But if that's how you learn English, you're like, well, that must be what America's like. And it's like, no, no, we don't talk yeah, like that. See, my, we don't. That's not yeah. us like. 
Yeah, but see, with me, it was MASH. That was my show. That's <laughs> ba- No, seriously, it's MASH. And then uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Star Trek, basically. Yeah, yeah. that's not, not representative <laughs> at all. And like, it's such, it's such a strange window into like, and that's, and that's where you, it's just, it's weird. So I always worry about people who learn English from watching our television. It's not. Yeah, that, that's why I, I, I talked to Jason Snell about this because I, I've recently started watching uh, uh, The Twilight Zone, the original one. Yeah. Right. And I, I sort of, I sort of fumbled the question, but that, that was actually my question. Cause like, was that actually like, did that like from, I guess it's an older show and it's like, that's your parents era basically. But like, if that somehow resembled America, like, do you know what I mean? Like if you watch, I don't know, if you watch the wire, like in 2001, right. You can say at least it's sort of, you know, it sort of touches on America somewhat, you know, even if you've never been to America, it's sort of like the, a slice of it is sort of represented there. Yeah. But like, that was my question to Jason. Like, like it's like when, when I watch the Twilight Zone, just like the mundane stuff, you know, just like how the streets look and stuff. And I know it's all a set and stuff, <laughs> but like, like I, I do know that. Like, is that in any way like representative of the, that era? Yeah, well, see, the, thing, the thing about the American TV shows like that is that they exist in a in the context of viewers who all know what real America's life because they're living in it. And so they, yeah. they what what the shows are doing is it's the show plus the life you're living equals the message. And if you just have the show without the life you're living, you're not going to get the full message. Like all it was expected that all the viewers knew what reality was like and the combination of reality and the show makes the message. If you take away that reality thing and substitute a different reality in a different country or whatever, the message is totally garbled. Like it was, it's always the combination. And The Wire is a good example of one of the rare shows where it's like, not so much. Don't you don't have to bring your own context to this because it's going to be really true to life, really gritty. Of like you said, one small slice of America. Whereas Twilight Zone was all over the place, and it was like, uh, it was a statement on the way you are living now, viewer of this show. Like Twilight Zone, probably more than anything. <laughs> and, and, if, yeah. and if you weren't living in that time in that place, the statement is not for you, and it then just bounces off at an angle or seems crazy or like loses its effectiveness or doesn't make any sense. So, you know, like any media studies, you'd have to be like, all right, well, you'd have to first study what was life really like and then study why was this show made as a reaction to that and how do they fit together? Yeah, see, and the way, yeah, I, I agree with that. The way my mind works, I'm trying to, like, I, I, I sort of think I know what the message is, and then I, start, I try to subtract the TV show and figure out the reality, which does not work, like, at all. Yeah, and, and then the other thing about America is that the realities are, like, it's a big enough, diverse enough country that the realities are just so incredibly different from, that. there's probably more difference in, uh, in culture and life experience from one end of America than there is from one end of Europe to the other. It's like you just imagine oh, like the deep south versus yeah. like the northeast. Like that is a hell of a gap. <laughs> yeah, but as you see, I think we are, like I, I, I don't I, 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 I've just been to New York. That's it. Like a couple of years ago. And I'm actually going there again, like uh, in the fall, me and my girlfriend are going like as tourists. So I've just seen that. And that's not really America. Basically, that's just like it's like New York, but like with Amer- like Europe with Americans. Yeah, in it, yeah you, you, know. you fit in exactly it's, in New York. It's. You won't you won't feel out of place at all. But yeah, the rest of America is not like New York City. Yeah, but I think like I, you'd be surprised with Europe, like how like different the countries are. And I know it's because they're different countries, but even like in that same vein, like it's it's you 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 sort of like there are those blocks where it's sort of the same, just because the history is there. 
but like comparing like Slovenia to I don't know like Lithuania, it's like I've I've never like I I've been to Latvia. Yeah. Like it's just it, there's not, like it, it really is different. Like you can you can tell by the cars, you know, like it's stuff like that, which in America I guess doesn't happen. Like you know, I'm I'm guessing like Chevy Impalas are everywhere. Like that's uh, that's sort of how it, I that's what it. it depends on what part of the country and in some part of the country's pickup pickup <laughs> trucks are everywhere. And it, for me, I uh, go months at a time without seeing a pickup truck, and that's impossible to do in other parts of the country. So yeah, the cars really do change. Yeah, and you have a like you have an accord, right? You have two accords, yeah. Which, yeah, which I've seen an accord like here, maybe like, but y- maybe I see it like once. The European Accord is a different car, though. The American Accord is made, yeah, but made for big don't they look people. the same now? No, they're not even the yeah, same but, platform. They're not even the same. Oh, platform. seriously, yeah, I did they, not know that. Not, oh, they're okay. not even the same car, uh, and it's it's been like uh-huh. that for years because the American one is gigantic. It's made for big fat Americans. Yeah, but is the plastic like the American kind of plastic and the dashboard and stuff, or is it like everything's different? Proper... The wheelbase is different, the engine, the drivetrain, the frame. The, it's an entirely different car. It's the European one always uses the smaller platform that I think we end up using for like the Civic or maybe some of the smaller Acuras. Uh, the, Ameri- ah, the American okay. Honda is its own thing entirely because apparently they can't sell a car that big in Europe. Well, yeah, because there's no parking. Yeah, you, could, <laughs> so you couldn't that's... fit it anywhere, and I guess you people aren't allowed to get fat, so. <laughs> well, that's that's increasingly less true, especially of Western Europe. But I guess you just like, wedge yourselves into those little hatchbacks and say, "Well, there we are." I'm, I guess I'm fat. Yeah, I think like like uh, oh, this is gonna sound like wrong, but like uh, I'm not gonna na- like England is sort of the, you know America in the making on that front. <laughs> well, like it, there is w- once know. their food became not entirely inedible, it was all downhill, right? But yeah. they colonized enough <laughs> countries with decent food and brought like the Indian food back. It's like, well, now I'm not now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you see, oh, about like the sides thing. You see, I talked. I, you did. You haven't listened to the uh, Casey episode. Uh, right, did you even release that yet? I know he recorded it, but when he told me, yeah, 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 it's it, out. I know it's it was out. released. All right. I, yeah, yeah, it's out. But uh, the thing is, they, uh, uh, you guys on neutral. Like I talked to them about this, but you, you guys talked about you being tall, right? And I just figured you were actually tall. Like, let me explain. Like, I'm I'm six foot seven. Yeah, no, we're not like the the only thing we yeah. know from Eastern Europe is the basketball players that come over to play in the NBA. None of us. <laughs> yeah, and there's been like, like yeah, there's been like seven Slovenian guys like in the NBA so far. Yep. And that's yeah, and like, and I just always assume like you keep making fun of like Marco that he's short, and I guess he's short. He is. I guess. He is. Yeah, yeah, but I always figured you were taller because you know, yeah, I maybe don't fit into the car and stuff. And I, I, I drive a, uh, uh, which is sad but true. Uh, uh, do you know the car company Opel? Yep. Opel. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So there's they, they do this small hatchback. It's a Corsa. It's it's called the car. You can Google it. You'll see. It's a ridiculous looking car. But like that, uh, that that's the only one I can actually fit in of the small cars. Like that's the thing. Like small cars have better headroom. Like the the my Honda Civic, my first car, had better headroom than my uh, the the older of the two Accords I have. Uh, and I don't know why that is. I guess when they make small cars, they're not afraid to make them upright and just gangly looking. But when they make larger cars, they want them to not look embarrassing, like little clown cars. So they <laughs> they make the roof line lower. And especially if you buy fancy cars, so then they have a sunroof. In America, all the, all the expensive cars have some kind of sunroof or moonroof in it. And that takes up a ton of room because you need a sliding glass panel to you know go back and everything. And that cuts into headroom. And yeah, I'm only 6'2". And Casey is around a similar height. Anything over six foot is considered tall in America. But like, once you get over six foot, suddenly you have to crank the seat all the way down to its lowest position and not buy a car with a sunroof. Because if I buy a car with a sunroof, my hair hits the headliner. 
unless oh, unless, wow, it's, okay. unless it's a dinky little hatchback because those, like I said, are super upright and they have plenty of headroom in them. Yeah, but you see that the, the the small hatchbacks over here. I don't really like if you. I don't know if you know the Renault Clio. Yep. It's like this small Renault car. Like I can't drive that car. Basically, I just, I can't. Well, it's yeah, well, like they, physically impossible. When everything is a hatchback, they start making. Oh, well, this is the sporty hatchback, and then that roof line comes down too because the sporty hatchback is not supposed to look like an upright shoe. They want it to look more sleek, so so they lower <laughs> the roof line, and then you can't drive it anymore unless you lean the the seat way back. Yeah, that's why the greatest little car is the Toyota Yaris. Like, I don't know if you even I, have those. We have Toyota Yaris, and that is not a great car. Oh, okay. Oh, it is an awesome. Like the diesel version. Oh, my on. my girlfriend's mom has it. It is the like for me, like for me in this stall, that is the best, the the best small car like ever. Basically, seriously, it's an awesome car. I don't know, maybe the American version is. Yeah, I think we have the same version because it is. It looks like a European car. It is a tiny. Is the bottom? Is the bottom <laughs> of the line Toyota? And yes, it is very upright, and I bet you can fit in it but seriously it's like you're wearing that car like a wristwatch instead of driving it driving in it <laughs> well yeah my priorities are different I'll, I'll give you that like yeah 